Ah, there we go now. Have you ever wondered what a couple of butt-naked people talking to a snake and floating boats and talking donkeys and big sea creatures swallowing people have to do with reading your Bible? This is the I Read My Bible podcast, and uh, if you've been tracking with us, uh, we kind of started working our way into the Pentateuch, that is the first five books of our uh, Hebrew Bible. They're located there in the, uh, chronologically at the beginning of your Old Testament in your Bible. And uh, yeah, so in the last couple episodes, we talked about uh, polemics and some interpretive issues with uh, old, ancient, Near Eastern texts. And today we are going to just dive into Genesis uh, 1. Talking about the creation account. Oh yeah, we also talked about how Genesis was not a scientific account of creation. Yep. Check that episode out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Science in the Bible, question mark. Uh, So today, because we've kind of set up this idea, the last time we talked that, uh, you know, this seven-day creation scene is not God, um, a record, I guess, of God, you know, bringing everything from immaterial into material. Uh, Ex nihilo is the, uh, uh, I guess that would be the the old Spanish language, right? Um, Latin. Latin, sorry, yeah. I mean, that was close. (laughs) Uh, Close enough for my, uh, for... Not Latino, Latin. Close enough for my brain today, anyway. Um, But seriously, though, uh, so yeah, so... Uh, if the question of the the count of uh, Genesis is not uh, science, then uh, we have to say, then what is it? Um, That's I, when things get fun. Yeah, I read this. Uh, I read this, somewhere this week. I was reading in one of my commentaries as I uh, I was in my my reading. Someone mentioned a really interesting point. Uh, if it's not science, uh, he says uh, he mentioned how. Um, there's actually like nothing in Genesis that talks about God creating or how God created. Sorry. We have this beautiful opening in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth, which, um, you know, for those of you that are into the language issues in there, it's actually like, you know, from the beginning or, um, we'll get there, but, um, you have to actually go to like other accounts. So we talked about this hermeneutical circle, right? How you other scriptures interpret other scriptures and we don't want to become just isolated into one text. Um, you know, we have some Psalms that talk about how God orders the heavens and how his marvelous hand was at work in creation. Um, and then we also have something in, uh, John's gospel, right? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and he was God. Yeah. How everything was created through him. So we get a little bit more of how creation might've been created, but, um. And the word, uh, of the day, a couple episodes at least was theological, theological. <laughs> Kept saying that, right? That's a big yeah. concern here when we're reading, um. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about how this is not necessarily a material account of origins, but a theology, theological one for the yeah. benefit of, you know, the ancient Israel readers who would have been reading this for the first time and for us today, right? We just have to do a little more work than they did to get out of this what they would have gotten out of it as the original audience. Yeah. So thinking of like these uh, ancient Near Eastern Canaanites being taken out into the wilderness and you know, learning how to follow this Yahweh, who's their God. And then, you know, you have this writer who writes, um, to be a little bit better than our 
English translations, which are, they're writing, they're really working hard to get the language into English for us, which is really awesome. But yeah, and I might be dating myself already, which seems sad with this movie reference. But when I was a kid, there was a Will Smith, uh, Tommy Lee Jones movie, Men in Black, right? With the oh, aliens, all that. But they got you know, worse when we as talk they about, <laughs> If you know this movie, Men in Black, well, um, I'm bringing it up because when God, you know, is bringing these people, calling them to himself for his namesake, building this kingdom of Israel mm-hmm. uh, out of people who, well, hmm. Before he calls them, what were they? They weren't Israelites, right? They were pagans. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> oh. when we're talking about that, you know, like men in, men in black, there's the little stick they hold up. Uh, they put their sunglasses on so they don't see it themselves, but red light blips and it blanks their memories, whoever looks at the stick. Yeah. Uh, God doesn't, you know, bloop, blank their memories and now give them all this new special Christian or Jewish language yeah. and everything else is pagan. No, he's speaking to them, accommodating himself to them and their understandings so that he can communicate to them. And so we see a lot of stuff that doesn't make a lot of sense to us because we didn't, we weren't them. There's a big gap between us and them, but God's speaking to them in terms, in, 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 in senses that they would have understood. Yeah. And he's saying something Obviously, theologically, again, there's the word theological. He's saying something theologically patent, something different than what's going on in their world, what they would have known, but he's using their language so they can understand what the heck he's saying. Yeah, that's good. And so what we have is, the result of that is we have this uh, final written piece, you know, once kingdoms or um, uh, people get established as a group, eventually you got to, you got you to, you spoken language, now we got to like solidify it, you know, put that written thing language, to, yeah paper and pen um luckily not tablets anymore but uh um full circle we're on uh electronic tablets yeah (laughs) but yeah yeah, full circle (laughs) i digress (laughs) yeah the hermeneutical circle part two the tablet circle um uh but i just i love how uh um or sorry i'm i guess i do love it but um you know for those of you on a little bit the geekier side you know the the, the the Hebrew language doesn't actually have uh, the if we want to you know break it down really simply quotation marks around the word the yeah it's uh, like the the best translation that you could probably come up with into English <coughs> um, it says you know when uh, God began to create the heaven and earth the earth was formless and void and then God said let there be light so it's you know, it's the definite article is what it is in in, uh, in Hebrew. Uh, it's not the beginning. It's like this the tense that kind of it's hard to bring it over in English. But essentially, you know, the the definite article which in English comes out as the beginning, it's not actually there. It's really interesting. So, so how would you maybe? So when God began to create the heavens and the earth is the author's idea here. It's not so much the when, but what's going on when God's creating and forming the heavens and the earth. Okay. So it's not so, yeah, it's not the yeah. how or when, but it's what is he actually doing? Yeah. And the big point, I think, uh, connecting like, um, like our previous two podcasts is, you know, that is, that's speaking to, to this group who has all these other ideas that they've been, that have been developed in the ancient Near East on, what happened when things were created and how it's it not, happened. yeah, it's not like they had a theological vacuum, right? Yeah. There, it's not, this is, oh, hey, look, we have theology now. Ding, like a caveman getting the gift of fire. Uh, no, they had theology and it needed to be dealt with. And yeah. And the, and the argument, I don't think anyone was ever concerned really. Like if you look at, uh, ancient Near Eastern thought, no one's ever really concerned of, uh, matter into material or immaterial into material ex, ex nihilo. Or even so much the pinpointing when uh, there 
their concept of uh, life or like the human life on earth began. For them, it's like the um, the work of like, everything is everything is already tied to the work of their God. So they don't need to have an, an idea of, like we mentioned before, of like God or um, science, right? They're, everything that happens, their supernatural world is view is so heightened compared to ours. If something grows a foot in a day, it's because the gods did it, right? And Everything and, had the gods work behind it. And in that regard too, then, uh, what is their concern? Well, let's not uh, tick off any of these gods. We want to live right by them so that we can have crops and harvest and not die out here of starvation so we can have fertility so that we can get, you know, the children who back then would actually equal dollar signs and not drain you of dollar signs, right? Yeah. So all this stuff like... Um, yeah, like there was this focus on the, the present way of living when they're talking about their histories and the Arakans of origins. It's an explanation for the present. It's uh, a term we've used on this podcast before, instructive history. Instructive history, Right, yeah. this isn't just for you to like go to an art uh, exhibit, you know, and, and like, oh, look at that. I wonder what the artist meant. And, you know, it's not a time really for uh, just yeah. gawking, although there is stuff definitely to, to have awe over here in the text. But yeah, it actually has a, a function in the lives of the people hearing yeah, this and I reading think, this. Yeah, I think, yeah. So, like, the main thrust of the verse that I'm seeing is, that, like, the, the huge thrust for, like behind what the author's saying is um, that God is the one that created the cosmos. He's the one that ordained it. Um, it's, you know, it's his sovereign act and will. Everything is being attributed to God in this one big punch. Boom, in the beginning... God created, right? Yep. And, and then and automatically speaking of order, what's God doing right there? I mean, everything is under him, right? Yeah. And then, um, and we look at the rest of Genesis one here, we get this ordering of creation, um, from something that's already created, right? Cause it doesn't say in the beginning, God, you know, took the materials and created the heaven and the earth. It says that the earth was already there. We have this, you know, the earth was formless and void. And then we get into this seven days or six days of creating seventh day of rest. And it's interesting because if God is like this, I mean, even ancient Eastern thought again, um, you know, the idea that these gods are too busy doing their God things to do earth things. They really, if you look at any old uh, depictions of the gods or um, engravings and on tablets and things, they're always sitting on a throne, right? Usually with like a hand up and then you'll have this imagery, even though the humans aren't in the heavens, you'll see this imagery of them like bowing and worshiping, but they're in front of these thrones. And it's interesting that we have this, um, uh, this account that is really like like masterfully, uh, laid out where we have decreeing and then, uh, creation being ordered after like the decrees. So, I mean, like the way that I kind of look at uh, I look at it. So like Genesis uh, three, right? God said, let there be light. And then verse four, it was good. And then verse five tells us how God gave light order and function. Mm-hmm. So you almost have like this repeat and it's, it's kind of like a chiasm too, right? This chiastic structure, God gave a decree. It was good. And this, and then we have like the result of what the decrees are like how he was, how he's ordering it as well. But the, the fact that it's good even though you, you would use, you think it would down at the end, God said, let there be light. He ordered the light into the skies and then he said it was good. But I, I just, I don't know. I just, I noticed that in the text. Uh, I think we talked about chiastic structures in the beginning, but just how, you know, like the, the authors use these literary devices where, um, the, the main climax happens in the center of a text. So then it comes down and we see them in like 
verses, and, even in poetry, right? Where we have like these. And just off the top of my head, as you're saying that, it makes me think, you know, just because God creates it doesn't mean it's, he doesn't say it's good itself, but it's when it falls into order, his yeah. intended order and design, that's when the pronouncement it's good comes in. Yeah. 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 It's, it's good. Uh, ooh, pun intended. Um, right. And then verse, verse six, right. Let there be an expanse, uh, in the waters. It was so, and then again, verse eight or seven, right. It was so it's good. And then in verse eight again, then we see God gives it order and function. And then this pattern kind of forms, right. And God giving his, uh, authoritative decrees, right. And then funk and then functions given after the thing is created. Right. Yep. And then this declaration of it's good. Uh, yeah. And may I take this and run with it, run with it for a sec. We'll see if this rabbit trail is perilous or not. <laughs> if you give me the green light, I'm going to go. Yeah. I'm just going to do it. Have your coffee. Um, <laughs> so this is also a really cool thing. When you think about this right away in Genesis one, that becomes kind of this literary device pattern. It becomes a cycle throughout Genesis, right? Yeah. Uh, this, this, God makes, God orders, and then uh, resting, right? Um, because, uh, yeah, by the time you get to Adam and Eve, God makes a covenant with them. He tells them what to do. He's speaking to them, right? Sets it into motion, per se. Like, not in a deistic sense, but in a way, yeah, he, he sets the plot in motion. Uh, things go awry. There's the false and everything. Humans screw it up. God steps in. He brings it back up to the level where we're ready to have covenant again. And it's like a period of rest where things are as they should be. Things are in order after having fallen out of order because God steps in to kind of create mm. on this kind of a stage, right? Uh, maybe not the whole big cosmic now, but in these stages of relations with humankind. Uh, and then the same thing happens with Noah, with Abraham, with uh, uh, Moses and the Israelites, right? Like it's this constant cycle of um, God has this plan. He, He's the one of his own uh, will, of his own volition, comes in, interjects it, yeah. makes us participants. We screw it up all the time, sin, right? Uh, we'll get to that more about sin in a bit as we get through Genesis. But th that happens, and God steps in. And God brings things back up, and then he's reigning, right? Yeah. Um, and that's like a big picture throughout Genesis, and it starts here in Genesis 1, that God is sovereign, that God is faithful, and that He um, he's the one who's really... Uh, in terms of this big cosmic picture creating, but even in terms of our relationship with him, he's the one who creates and sustains that, right? Yeah. And it also too laced in that, uh, that pattern is this idea that um, God is going to, God wants to bring his, um, his, his work about through man, but man keeps falling short. And that's pointing to um, the need for this God man to kind of step in down the road, right? Where we, get this thing leading up to pointing to Jesus who will be the man that can intervene and become the second Adam, right? This mm -hmm. Adam's pointing towards uh, this need for another um, uh, start of humanity that will come through Jesus who will be fully God and fully man. And then he'll intercede. And because he's fully God, he's not going to fail, right? And then new creation, new Edenic state in Revelation under the God, man, Jesus. Oh, yeah. it's really cool. <laughs> it's 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 right. This stuff is getting set up from page one, right? Yeah, scroll one, if yeah. you will. <laughs> set up to fail from the beginning. <laughs> set up to in the long. But term. the amazing thing is, is that God wants to work through us anyway, right? And that's yeah. like this other cool, like it. 
I mean, like you, we we kind of emphasizing like human failure, but it also like emphasizes God's like um, his patience and his like even his endurance to like yeah, and the fact like slowly how, work how, through it. How amazing is God that um, you know? Yes, He arranges material things, the earth, all this out of formlessness and chaos, tohu and bohu in the Hebrew, right? You see that word again in... Um, uh, when, uh, tohu and boohu. <laughs> Sorry. Did I say it wrong? No, no, no. I'm just saying, I just interpreted it as like... Anyway, no, no, go ahead. <laughs> uh, they did a lot of boohooing in the Old Testament too. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. I'll give that one to you too. Two, two funny points for you today, sir. <laughs> but um, you see that language too in the aftermath of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Those are the, the words used to describe the destruction. Uh, and in a sense... You know, it might not actually come out this way in the text, but that's our condition because of sin in our relationship with God, tohu yeah. and bohu. But he is persistent to, like, formlessness and chaos cannot win over God, right? He's yeah. going to win over it. He's going to conquer because he's supreme. That's kind of the tension actually set forth in Genesis that, okay, yeah, God creates everything, brings it into order, and now it's good. But how come humanity... This seems never to be in order. How come there's so much sin all the time? How come we're so wicked, so much evidences of wicked in life? Well, rest assured, uh, God hasn't been dethroned, right? We're not, our sin is not greater than him, right? Yeah. Um, when you... <laughs> wow, we, we went from... I lost my... Stepping into Genesis 1 to preaching. Wow. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, so, uh, okay, so uh, playing on Greek words still... Yeah. Uh, um, another another point that I think is interesting, just uh, to give some interpretive helps to our listeners, because uh, that's what we're doing here, right? Yes. We're not telling them everything that happened in Genesis, but we're giving them, trying to get them thinking differently about how they approach the text. Um, on a language level, uh, um, in Hebrew, uh, in Genesis, when we see that in the beginning, God uh, God created the heavens and the earth, that word create there is the Hebrew, Hebrew word uh, bara, um, and it's interesting that nowhere in the Old Testament is it used to talk about creation of something like ex nihilo, like out of nothing, to create something material from immaterial or using ma- raw material to make something. Yeah. Um, it's always used in the, the context of like giving something function, purpose, or ordering it so that it's working. Um, so um, in Isaiah, we see it um, in a verse talking about the creation of Israel. It says, uh, Isaiah 43, 15 says, I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One, the Bara, the creator of Israel, your king. Um, so again, just uh, another um, hermeneutical and, you know, it's interesting helps about, when getting getting people thinking about what's going on here in this Genesis yeah, 1. Interesting about that too. Um like when you look at that too, in Genesis, how is Israel created? Uh, God calls Abraham the son of a pagan idol maker, right? Uh, and then in Exodus, when he's, you know, I guess you could, if you want to, uh, if it's right to apply the term Bera here as well, creating Israel, he's drawing out the, the line of Abraham out of Egyptian slavery, and he's bringing with them a mixed multitude of Gentiles as well. And then by the time you get to the Mosaic Covenant and he's establishing the kingdom, he's bringing them all together federally in a sense, right? Mm. So again, that's he's using stuff already there, granted, that he made <laughs> yeah. right, in, a, in a material sense. But yeah, he's, he's taking out of this formlessness out of this, um, this lack of order in a sense. Right. Yeah. It's good. Also too, like another connection that I'm seeing is this idea. I mean, connecting 
the creation to like Genesis two, where we now see God like putting humans in his, um, in his presence. And he gives them this, uh, this uh, decree to be like fruitful, multiply and subdue the earth. Um, it almost like see how it's also attached to like this, uh, this um, new Eden that we kind of see after the flood, right? So God gives his early humans this uh, decree, right? We see God speaking with humans in the garden and they're to go out, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the land. They're supposed to be his image bearers, right? They fall short. You know, we have this one man that stands out um, in faithfulness, as we said earlier, Then who's Noah, right? And then God obliterates. <laughs> or, uh, you know, there's a... Uh, localized flood in the ancient Near East. And then we have this new, new Adam that steps in Noah, right? Or uh, Noah. Yeah. Noah. Cause he comes up and he gets this, he gets the, God gives him the same, uh, decree that he's given to the first Adam. So the first Adam figure fails is, is lineage fails. Right. And then, in, so God starts fresh. We get, uh, um, uh, Noah, and then he gives him the same, uh, well, the, the same decree, yeah. right? Yep. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, which is, and the then, demands. yeah. Yep. And then, and then he, he even mentions he'll give the, he'll provide the means to do that when he talks about giving the food right for them and all that. Yeah. And then we, it leads up to this covenant that's established, right? It's pointing and it points to Abraham. And then we see like this formation of Israel. Who's going to, who's pointing to God's, um, they're supposed to uh, bring God's reign on the earth through uh, um, through His people. So I just anyway, I just I just a connection that I'm seeing. Anyway, um, I thought it was interesting, but um, yeah. So uh, that will lead us to then. So we have this idea of like God setting up His um, He's ordering things into creation, right? We have. Uh, you have a thought? Yeah. So yeah, we've emphasized a lot on in this kind of pattern: creation, ordering. And then the, the third part we get to is the rest, right? And when you think about that as well, you know, when you think of God resting, it's not like he's just chilling, lazing about because he's so tired now, right? Yeah. It's the king is sitting on the throne. And when kings are sitting on thrones, um, <laughs> you know, we're not talking about them going to the bathroom, maybe. That that was a lowball joke, sorry. But yeah. <laughs> depending on what kind of movie you've watched, um, you've either, the image you have of a king is either him sitting on a throne, yeah. eating grapes, doing but, nothing because he doesn't have yeah. to do anything. But arguably, or, they, they, they are doing something great when they're actually sitting on a throne, right? Yeah. That's when they're reigning. Yeah. Uh, so they're by sitting on a throne, it's not just doing nothing and, and chilling. Yeah. But when you get to the this this final climax of after God's created, after he's ordered, now he sits on the throne and he's reigning, right? Yeah. And his kingdom is established. And he can, yeah. And the idea here is that because his work has all come to completion and it's ordered and it's functioning the way he intends, now he can rest in that work because it's yeah, cause not did, complete in the sense that it's over, but it's completed and it's doing what he intended for it to do. Uh, fact check this stuff for yourselves, but just off the top of yeah. my head again, I'm thinking of like all those medieval historical peace movies, right? Typically what you, okay, I'm bringing Hollywood into this, that let, let's be wary. <laughs> but typically in those kind of flicks, when you see a king off the throne, what are they doing? They're off fighting wars. You see that even with David, right? This, um, and yeah. you know, his, pro his, his problem was that he, he wasn't off fighting a war in the season when Kings should be doing that, got into some trouble, yeah. but yeah, so they're fighting wars. They're uh, like either defending or expanding their kingdoms. They're settling yeah. that kind of ordering sense, or they're off in the courts doing disputes, all this stuff, whatever. But yeah, when, when they're sitting on the throne, 
you know, there's nothing pulling them away from it, right? There's order. It's yeah. established. Now they reign. I wonder if there's also, too, this connection of, uh, like, this idea that the Genesis is also a polemic, you know? Yes. You see this idea of, um, and the thoughts just come to me, but I think I got it formed here, but, um, you know, again, if for those of you, like, if movie imagery will help create this image in your mind, you know, when, if a king is at battle, he's usually not sitting on his throne, right? Um, so in this, in these other polemics that we've talked about, generally like gods achieve things through doing battle, right? They're, they're mm, in chaos. Yes. There's these, that's a motif in ancient Near Eastern creation yeah. myths. Um, definitely. Yeah. The, the battle against chaos and all that gods against gods, even humans against gods. Yeah. And I think it's interesting how like we have this imagery of mm. like, not only are they, they're not even mentioned and they're like, God like puts, cause stars are connected to the, these, these idea of like the gods. Yeah. God does all of these things sovereignly on his own. All the power, everything is credited to him. Yep. And he doesn't do any battle and yep. now he reigns. He doesn't even conquer anything and, and he's reigning already. And yeah, and we mentioned It's this, all his. That's the point. We mentioned this in a prior, uh, uh, prior, prior, previous, combining you get prior, previous episode. Uh, we talked about, there's an allusion already here in Genesis 1 to the pagan goddess Tiamat, the dragon goddess, who's the goddess over uh, chaos, right? Yeah. Because uh, in, uh, was that Enuma Elish or is it Epic Gilgamesh? My, um, uh, uh, Enuma Elish, I think, yeah. Yeah, she, uh, she gets conquered, cut in half, out of the two halves of her carcass, the waters of the earth are formed. Genesis 1, formless and void, there's chaos, God's over it, uh, and there's the 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 waters right um it's an allusion to this image of tiamat the goddess she's not mentioned by name it's not uh anthropomorphized right so we're not giving human traits to this scene it's just it looks like just you know water right her mm. name's stricken from the record uh she is herself and it's an allusion to her with this kind of a blow of silence to say she's not even a factor here she's so non she's non-existent right and again remember beginning of the episode these are people God is forming into people for himself from a prior uh, context, Canaanites, pagans. Mm. They would have gotten this illusion and it would have meant something powerful to them because at the same time that this is pointing out God's sovereignty, it's also speaking against the pagan gods like Tiamat, who's a big player in that sense. Mm. That's good. I also like to, um, another thought that just came to my head is um, generally, you know, in earthly kingdoms, you know, people need people to worship them, right? Like without a kingdom full of people, you don't really have a kingdom. You might just have like some brick and mortar, but it's interesting how, uh, intended or not, it's, I kind of see it here. It's kind of cool. It's interesting how God is actually resting and reigning. And we don't even have this account of, not to say that humans weren't created, but we don't even have the, the, uh, humans included yet in this narrative. And he's already like ruling and reigning and we're not even in the picture. Like, just kind of like this idea of like God doesn't, not only like are these other gods non-existent and he, he does this all on his own, he doesn't even need, like his subjects aren't even introduced yet, like his humans, his image bearers, and he's already like rested, like resting and reigning, which I think is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. That God can just sovereignly exist and be who he is and he doesn't need us to, like we don't take or add anything away from that. That's a whole kind of theology and I love it. Yeah, yeah. it's good. Uh, for you who are more theologically uh, sensitive, uh, minded, whatever you want to call it, if you're interested in this stuff, uh, 
you know, you might be uh, thinking of God's immutability, right? When we mentioned this, the fact that um, nothing outside of God can act on God in such a way that forces his hand or changes him or anything like that, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's good. Um, Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up Genesis 1. Um, I hope we uh, gave some good... uh, some, some insight and some new insight for our listeners um, and some new tools to help them read the text differently, uh, peel back the scales a bit, see it with a new lens. Yeah, you got anything to add on before we finish on that? Yeah, just like one maybe like little hermeneutical, hermeneutical <clears throat> takeaway for us today, right? Because so far we're being pretty exegetical, right? So we're looking into the text, but wh- what do we get from this, right? Uh, just to be quick as we wrap up, if this is more about God uh, reigning and, and ordering and creating, like think of those three terms we've looked at, the creation, the ordering, and the reigning. Well, how's he doing that in your life? Because if we just relegate this all to material creation, it's like, oh, great, that's awesome. Now I know that God created everything. Wow, that took a lot of effort. But mm-hmm. how is he uh, ordering our lives? Yeah, Are we good. falling in line with the, the order he intends? Uh, how is he reigning in our lives, right? How yeah. are we a part of this kingdom scene? Um, not to put too much of the emphasis on us, right, and take away from him, but what does this look like in li- our lives? What should it look like? And maybe uh, how could it better look like the reality uh, set for us here? Because yeah. and that's what we know this firsthand, yeah. let alone secondhand, but the Bible, or, uh, sin is prevalent, right? Uh, even as Christians, it's something we still struggle with, have to deal with. So this is stuff we can always be mindful of and take away from. Yeah. Um, in closing, I just had one thought to uh, just to leave our listeners with um, before we move on, just so there's no confusion. Um, so we said that would be a good close to Genesis 1, but we also mentioned resting and reigning in Genesis 2. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that uh, you don't learn generally until you you know, read either read commentary or get into some kind of theological training. But um, uh, again, going back to my hermeneutics class, you know, read your Bible without the verses because they're just addresses, right? They never really existed before. It's kind of like and by that what we mean is the the numbers that are yeah inserted. the numbers yeah they're there for our benefit as reference, but. Uh, you might not know this. That wasn't in the original text. Yeah. They're there for just like a house address, right? To delineate one house between them or define them, right? Yep. Help you find where you're at. Um, but then also sometimes we need to take away some of the section divisions or not take away, but just read them and kind of ignore them. <laughs> like see that they're there and then pretend that they're not there because they can cause you to break the text where the author never intended. And this is a, a good example of one because um, and anyone that's read like commentary on this or done more Genesis study will know um, that uh, they, there's um, scholars will talk about how Genesis uh, 2 actually ends at uh, 2-4, um, right? Uh, the main division people see is between 2-4-A and B, somewhere, somewhere in the middle of that verse. And uh, just in my reading on that in the last few days, I actually... Uh, found like another piece of information that that's actually like there's that's where the scroll the first genesis scroll is cut so we have this second account and it's literally even on like a second piece of parchment yeah um so the the idea of god resting and reigning it's i mean depending on your interpret which uh version you're using it might end up somewhere uh it would end up in genesis 2 but um you know you kind of need to read the beginning of genesis 2 connected to the end of one and you'll see like literally that's how it literarily in the literary the literary function that, that the author is using it actually that's where the flow stops as well you'll if you haven't noticed it already so uh yeah genesis 2 is actually still part of genesis 1 if you want to look at it as like the original piece which is pretty cool so 
Sick. And then next time we'll... Uh, That's worth the price of admission here, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Which, pretty sure it's free, so sorry, I didn't mean to... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's the, uh, end of Genesis three and, uh, not the <laughs> episode three. Yeah. Genesis three. Yeah. Genesis <laughs> episode three, not three. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, if you, uh, are listening to us on YouTube or watching and listening on YouTube, uh, if you haven't clicked that subscribe button yet, uh, click subscribe and in all honesty, share with someone, if there's someone that you feel like would benefit from this podcast, um, we'd love to have this shared and if you are a listener that doesn't like to see us <laughs> you can uh for those of you that don't know you can find us on apple podcasts and podbean and you can leave us a coffee tip at <laughs> ko-fi.com there will be a link below on youtube here yeah this episode of i read my bible brought to you by i drink my coffee <laughs> couldn't do without it <laughs> see you in the next one <laughs>